Welcome, welcome. This is Much Love with Kaoki, part of the Much Love family. My name is David, and across from me is my brother, the tattoo wizard Kaoki. When we started this podcast, there was a focus on Polynesian culture and tattooing. We've covered a lot of ground and have started to find our voice. We've touched on Polynesian culture, music, and travel, and we'll definitely revisit all of them. For this episode, I wanted to switch gears a little and discuss the business of owning a tattoo shop, the ups and downs, and the ride along the way. We've got people from all walks of life that listen to our podcast, and hopefully this episode will give someone relative insight into the business while still being a conversation amongst friends. I hope you enjoy. Much love. So, man, welcome back. How was your trip? Oh, my trip was good, brother. It was good. It was uh, it's great. We went out to uh, good old sunny California with my son to go and uh, go to Disneyland and uh, Universal Studios. Then I headed over to Las Vegas and I visited my brother who recently moved to Las Vegas. Oh, and then really? I came here. Yeah. So what were, what were the parks like? Oh, the I've parks ne- were. I've like- never been out there. I've never been no. to those parks. It's crazy. It's it's I'm gonna it's it's at any other like any other uh, theme park. It's just especially now it's summertime, so it was packed with kids and families. And so, hot um, as fuck. Oh <laughs> my god, hot as hell. I mean, not as bad as I mean. They had like some overcast over there, so it was probably maybe in the uh, um, I say in the mid eighties at some time. But uh, wow. Las Vegas was about like ninety six, ninety eight. But That's Vegas nuts. is dry heat. Yeah, it's dry heat and it's crazy one time we went to las vegas at a for a tattoo convention and it was about 117 degrees and i was like who chooses i'm not going outside yeah that's why everything is well air conditioned in las vegas <laughs> so what i mean how are the parks different than like the ones in orlando is there a different feel to them or is it still all the same mickey land and same shit no, it's it's the same stuff, the same old Disney stuff, but because it's Disney where they first started, right? It was in California, and the park is nowhere near as big as in Florida. Florida's parks are twice the size as the Disneyland and Universal over in, in California. So you imagine fitting the same amount of people in Florida into those small parks in California. So they're just as packed as the Florida parks. It's just they don't have as much space. So you seem kind of more more like sardines there in California. Were there? Did you go on rides and stuff? Oh yeah, I'm an adrenaline junkie, dude. I I, I go <laughs> everything. I go to. I got the. I got a diamond membership for Six Flags. I mean, we. <laughs> I ride rides <laughs> like there's no tomorrow. I'll keep going until my body tells me no. And right now, it's not telling me no. So. <laughs> so were there? Did you get like that fast pass or easy pass, whatever it's called, that gets you to jump the lines, or no? You just had to stick it. Yeah, we just stuck it through the line because uh, I went with a group of my friends and family and um, not everybody could afford to get it. So if somebody can't get it, then nobody will get it. So we'll all right. stand if we'll all stand in the lines together. You know, how many people were you with? Uh, there was 17 of us total. You're kidding. So, me. Yeah. I thought, I thought you were going to say like three, four, 17. <laughs> yeah. We had like uh, three or four families that uh, that. Uh, we went with some friends uh, from California when I was tattooing some brothers, you know, and stuff like that, that we all met in the industry. And uh, we just went out with our families. I think there were three graduates this year. So oh, cool. um, that's why they all wanted to go to Disneyland. So they went to Disneyland to uh, help celebrate the uh, graduation for the three graduates. 
And then you went to San Diego or somewhere close to there. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, we were in uh, Disneyland out in California, out out in right. LA, and then from there we went to Universal Studios. And then I had to drop my son off. Um, his cousin graduated high school in San Diego, so uh, more by Oceanside, not really San Diego, San Diego. They're by Oceanside, and so I dropped my son off out over there. But before I dropped him off, we actually went to the uh, um, the USS Midway, the uh, aircraft carrier that they have there in San Diego, and they have a it's a museum. So you can walk onto the aircraft carrier. Really? That sounds cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. You can climb inside helicopters, jets, and you can see what it's like to sit in the, um, uh, in the, uh, the F, uh, what was I got? The the one from a top gun, the jet that Uh, they had. So F 15 or F 14. I I think it's a 14. Yeah. The F 14, they had the, uh, um, the cockpit that you could sit into and everything. So it was super cool stuff. Tight, real tight in there. I imagine. You know, it wasn't as tight as I thought it was. When you start to walk through the actual ship, um, you, you'll see that some of the tunnels and some of the doors were a little bit more restricting, but okay. um, definitely, definitely um, navigatable. You know, you, can, you navigate through the ship. When you were in the military, did did you ever get any experience to those, or no? It was pretty regimented, so that you know one division doesn't doesn't cross paths with another division. Uh, usually, um, so th- that was a, a na- naval aircraft carrier, and usually the Marines are the ones that are connected to the Navy. So the Marines okay. will ride, and uh, the, the Marines use the Navy as their transport. The Navy will transport the Marines wherever they have to go in the world. Where I was in the Army, the Army self-deploys ourselves, so we have everything we need, but I never rode on a on a ship before. We, we were never attached to the uh, uh, Navy. The closest thing I did with the Navy was when I was in the Army. I was a Florida observer for artillery so i called in for fire and sometimes we called in we could call in naval gunfire but i never got to call in naval gunfire but we're allowed to use it as an asset okay okay and while you were out by oceanside did you go to the ocean yeah, yeah, yeah. We're on the, the aircraft carrier still sits in the ocean. We went out there to the beach side and it hung out there. We didn't go to like to go swim or anything like that. I just went to go and uh, I went to the museum with my son and then dropped him off with his mother. So are you like at all, in, you know, a beach bum? I imagine coming from Hawaii that that was like a and you mentioned living on the beach for a while. So is that still something you go to or does that like have bad memories and, you know, you you're more of a city boy now? Oh no! Every time I go home to Hawaii, when I go home, I it's like we do what the Hawaiians call au au kai, or basically you're taking a bath in the ocean. And basically, every time I go home, I go to the ocean. The first thing I do is get 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 off the plane, go straight to the ocean, straight to the ocean, jump in the water, and it's kind of like almost like plugging back into home. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's our that's our way of plugging back in. That we go and kind of like almost like how people get baptized, you know, with water kind of thing. Right. Like right. whenever we go home to Hawaii, the first thing we do is the beach because mother nature will resync you with the land and that's that's a big thing for me yeah so i mean my wife and i so the the reason that my wife and i don't travel more is you know i've got an elderly cat and he takes a lot of medicine and takes a lot of care so it's Mm -hmm. it's it's tough to to leave you know for an extended period of time so we recently had our floors redone and i had to stay at my we had to stay at my parents and he did, he did real well. So the idea of traveling and leaving him at my parents, that, 
that's that's kind of opening up the doors. So I was definitely thinking about, you know, maybe going to Hawaii, but having your insight, you know, stay away from this, go here, eat this, stay here. You know, I, I, I think that would be really cool to have, you know, kind of your, you being my guide. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All the time. A lot of my friends that want to go out to Hawaii, they always ask me for recommendations depending on which Island they go to. Um, and me and my son go home every year in December. I tell people from December 15th to about January 2nd, we usually go the last two weeks of December and we always go because, uh, New Year's in Hawaii is just ridiculous. It's crazy. It's awesome. If you've never been to New Year's in Hawaii, you've got to go to New Year's in Hawaii. But yeah, so you're welcome to come if you want to come and hang out in December. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, especially if if there's something you know to uh, you know a, a time reason to go, uh, definitely. So the the New Year's celebration, what, what's you know what's it like? Uh, it's just unbelievable. Um, back when I was growing up as a kid, um. Fireworks became illegal in the late 90s, say 98, somewhere around there, 99. They made fireworks illegal in Hawaii. Now, not a, a big chunk of Hawaii are Chinese descent. And okay. Chinese is where we got fireworks from. You know, right. They're the guys who created all that stuff. So we have like Chinese New Year's and all this stuff like that, that we celebrate. A lot of popping of fireworks, a lot of fireworks. And for about a decade, the Hawaiians... You know, we, we, how would you say, adhered to the laws. And then it got to the point where, because before 1998, when I was growing up as a kid, man, we used to pop fireworks so much that there would be like a, a, a layer on the ground, on the street, the whole street, about two to three inches thick of red paper, like from all the fireworks we would pop. Really? Like, yeah. We used to hang, um, they used to have these long rolls of like the red devils, you know, the red popper fireworks. And right. we used to roll those out. And we had them that were like 150,000 fireworks fireworks long and then what we would do is we would hang them from the street lights and then we'd do them all the way down the street and then when they count down for the you know five four three two one then we would light all of them and then we would take pictures and stand under the fireworks as they're coming down and hope and stuff there's a lot of fireworks that were going on back in the days i mean i'm not gonna lie maybe a couple times the mountain caught on fire and uh, uh you know, is, is you think that's the reason you know like because people were getting hurt damage was being done or was there something deeper well, I, I, it's, it's, it's really, I'm going to say that 90% of it is like a lot of the foreigners that moved to Hawaii and they, so you got to think that Hawaii is like a retirement destination for a lot of people. They work their whole lives and they're like, I want to just live my rest of my life in Hawaii. And they go there. So we got this uh, like elderly groups or people that come here from the States that want to move to Hawaii, but they want their pristine, quiet Island that they think it is. You know what I mean? Okay. So they oppress a lot of the local people because it's what they want it to be. Not what it is for us as the reality is oh. our home. You know what I mean? So they right, change right. a lot of things in Hawaii, you know, like, like a lot of things like um when sugarcane and pineapple came over, cause they're not native to Hawaii. You know, right. it was good old Dole that brought that to us. And um, <laughs> they, yeah, right. And they brought all these plantations and they threw the Hawaiians and all these other people and everybody on these plantations. And then, but what they would do is in order to harvest the sugarcane, they would create controlled fires and burn all the sugarcane as they would go. Now the smoke and the ash and everything, the Hawaiians didn't want it, but you know, it was just like, it was polluting our air and stuff like that. And then eventually we had to learn to live with it. Right. But then right. fast forward to recently, um, within the last 50 years, 60 years, they closed all the sugarcane plantations. So now all the Hawaiians that were reliant on this as an occupation now lost out because then now we don't have jobs because 
because these things have been closed, but they don't really care about the native people that are there because we had to deal with the smoke and the burning, all this stuff. And then now we have to deal with the loss of the jobs. And now we have to deal with tourism that are coming. And now we have to deal with all these people that want to move there because it's a quote unquote destination. Right? So now everybody wants to come to Hawaii where it's going to be peaceful and quiet and I can go to my beach and then the Hawaiians pop fireworks because you know, <laughs> it's our home and they're like, Oh, all that noise and yeah. all that, all oh, that pollution because of the smoke. Like I tell you, straight up because hawaii has a lot of humidity right so um when we used to pop fireworks at new year's it would be so bad that the air would just sit as one thick cloud for hours because the humidity in the air would just just kept it there yeah it just kept it there so like driving home after new year's party at grandma's house was the hardest thing in the world because you couldn't see the car in front of you sometimes (laughs) (laughs) it was awesome that's nuts (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. now, um, sorry. So I was, I was getting back to now. Um, so now, um, the Hawaiians have decided that, you know, we used to do that before they made fireworks illegal and it wasn't even the Hawaiians that made it illegal. It was all the people from the States. So a couple of years ago, the Hawaiians were like the hell with it. They can't bust all of us. So now Hawaii is like the leading, the leader of illegal fireworks sales in the nation. And boy, do we light it up, brother. Just go on YouTube and type 2020 um, New Year's in Hawaii. And there's people who will film from the mountaintop and pan the whole island. And the whole island is popping. And I'm not even un, un, like, like, like underestimating or like, you know, like it's, it's under exaggerating. It's, it's, it's crazy, dude. It's nuts. Like to watch it. It's super cool. That, that that's pretty amazing so yeah definitely new year's that that's so i, I we, i'm going to talk to my wife tonight and see if we can plan that out that'll be really cool that'll yeah, be dope it's crazy because we're going me and my son we go like i said every year and then what um, island our we go to oahu that's where i'm we're from oahu is the main island so there are eight uh there's like over a hundred plus islands but eight principal islands that we can live on where there's actually people occupied in fact, I take that back. There's seven because the eighth one is Kaho'olawe, which nobody can live on that one because the military used to use it for bombing practice. So oh. there's a lot of unexploded ordnance on oh, that buddy. island. Yeah, so they can't. <laughs> they said if you throw a rock, it'll skip probably twice and then blow up. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things. So they've, they've, been, they've been working on efforts for the last 20, 30 years to clean up the island, to occupy it. But as of right now, it's not occupied. Um, but uh, there are seven other islands that are occupied, of which the main one is Oahu. Oahu is the busiest. I tell people 90% of what they know about Hawaii is on Oahu. Oahu has Honolulu. Oahu has Waikiki. Oahu has like uh, Pearl Harbor. Oahu has North Shore, Pipeline, all these things that everybody knows about. Um, but the only thing that the Oahu doesn't have are the volcanoes. And the volcanoes are on the big island, which is like three, four, five islands to uh, the east. And what, I mean, I imagine there's a lot of tourist traps. I mean, are, are is it worth it to, to climb a volcano or is that just like you, you see it and that's about it? Uh, well, you can, you can go up to the volcano all the time. They got, they got tourist like groups or you can just drive up there. You don't have to go with a tourist group. You can just drive up to the volcano. It's a national park. So you can just drive into the park. Um, and then when you can go up, you can go to the basin of the volcano. Um, they won't let you down into it. <laughs> There'd be some crazy tourists that would just go there just to get the shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they would do that. It's like, Oh my God. But, um, for, for uh, the gram. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, seriously, <laughs> for the gram. You know what I mean? So that's what it would be. Um, so they prevent people from doing that. Now, you can pay for tours where they'll take you alongside the volcanic rivers, and you can actually scoop lava out of the river, the lava river, and then you can actually make like a trinket or something out of it. Now, um, obviously, those cost a little bit more, but you could definitely go up to the actual lava stream. Now, mind you, it is hot as hell. But you can do that. Is it worth it? Or is that just like something that tourists have been sold on? No, I, I, it is worth it. It is. It's an experience like never before to to sit down next to the like some one of the major powers of Mother Nature. You know, talking like hurricanes, tornadoes, all these things like that. And lava volcanoes are a natural occurring thing in Mother Nature. But it's power. It's power that's so strong that up in I think it was a Greenland or Iceland, Iceland, they have an actual thermal power station that powers the country off of volcanoes. Like it's really? unbelievable. Yeah, they do. That's the reason why I want to go to Iceland because I just want to see. I I geek out on on engineering stuff. I, I'm a, I'm a an engineer. I like to build my tattoos. To me, I build them like I would build a building kind of thing. Oh, cool. So engineering is my thing. That's the way I think of things. And um, to see that they can power their whole country off of volcanic like heat and and steam and pressure. It's just it's unbelievable stuff, brother. Yeah, I mean, I, I that that's another place I'd like to go. I'd like to go to Reykjavik and see what that's like. And you know, that that's one of the trips. You know, so for me, uh, Hawaii, Alaska, um, Iceland, and then I want to go back to Europe. You know, I just uh, I I love it over there, and you know, it's it's been a long time since I've been over there, and you know, want to get back. But that that's a lot of travel to put on. Dude, how about we do this? How about we just go to because there's tattoo conventions everywhere. There's tattoo convention in Iceland. That's the one I want to go to. And there's tattoos in Europe and everything. And we could just set up a booth in the tattoo convention and then just do podcasts. Just, there we go. We could, just, we could just do live podcasts there each day, interviewing artists, interviewing people, and stuff like that. We could do that. Just travel with with conventions, and then those are all business write offs, dude. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's it. That's the way to do it. No, definitely. You'd have like a, a a stream of guests. You know, you'd have other artists. You'd have people that are getting the tattoos. You could, yeah, you could you could definitely make it. You know, a, a unique show over and over again. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, give the world a little bit more of an insight on the actual industry itself. Yeah, and and I mean that that's kind of you know, what I wanted this episode to be about, you know, so that, that's, <laughs> that's a great segue. So, you know, I kind of, so you've, you've gone from being an artist to being in business. I, so, and I know you started your journey kind of on the West coast and you got your start in the business and then you came over to the East coast and got your start in Atlanta at, I forgot the name of the shop, but and from there, you opened up your own. Is that is that right? Is that the the way that things worked out? Yeah. Well, it goes a little bit deeper in the beginning, but yeah, that's pretty much that's that's the gist of it. Yeah, I went all the way to the west coast and from the west coast to the east coast, and then got my own shop. Yeah. So what what kind of inspired you to do that? Like what what led you to go? Okay, I want to go out on my own. I want to do this, you know, my way. Well, I've been I've been just. I just been tattooing for 20 years and uh, after 20 years of tattooing, you just think to yourself, like it's uh you've learned enough, you know, to, to be in an industry 
20 years and learn, you know, a lot of kids will come into the tattoo industry like two, three years in and their parents are like, you know, I'll open you your own shop, you know, and they get money from their <laughs> parents or other people and they, or they, they find uh, outside third party investors who like, right. Hey, I just want to own a tattoo parlor and they'll pull these kids in. Um, to me, the hardest part is that, you know, they say that when you open a business at that young of an age, that um, you're still trying to learn your industry. So to try to learn your industry and then learn, how to be a business owner there's going to be a there's going to be a balance thing a balance imbalance right so you're going to have to either one become a really good businessman or two become a really good tattoo artist and a bad businessman you know what i mean so yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. one or the other right so it's what you put your your you know your cookies into the jar right so it's like um so for me being 20 years in the industry i felt i was uh, had the artistry part down yeah, I had the artistry part down. I was already established. I had a clientele base that was big enough to where I don't have to worry about trying to advance my art and trying to worry about being a good artist and building clientele that that's already established. And now I can jump into the business part of it and the, uh, my reputation will carry me through it and I'll be okay. Did you have like any prior business experience before this? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so gr growing up, what kind of jobs did you have? Oh, uh, well, I graduated high school and I joined the army, United States uh, army. Did yeah. you have any like in high school or anything like that? Like delivering I mean, pizzas or anything? <laughs> I was a boat hand in high school. So uh, my uncle hired me as a boat hand. He would, they would do uh, fishing out in Hawaii. And uh, I would be the kid who would get up at four o'clock in the morning, get to the harbor. I'd have to load the um, the boat up, the hulls that we had for the fish. I'd have to okay. load them up with just massive bags of ice and then water. And then I'd have to go to the store that was next to it and buy the drinks and the snacks for all the guys that were there on the boat. Or if they needed air tanks to dive, I'd have to go and get the air tanks and stuff like that. And load up. I had to make sure the boat was clean prepared and ready to go and that's what i then while the guys were fishing or diving or whatever they're doing i was the one switching out the uh air tanks or i would make sure there was enough water or enough ice in the hulls for them to keep the fish cool enough to get home and all that stuff so that's what i did in high school was it a specific type of fish um and they, they they fish for akule which is i think uh, um like uh saltwater bass like kind of like a, a, a sea oh, bass cool. Yeah, so I it went for two dollars and fifty cents a pound, and I think we we're catching on average about three to five thousand pounds a trip. Wow! Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> it was pretty cool. So when when you were opening the shop, did did you kind of have a concept of how you wanted to do things, or were you just like, I, I need to start, I need to use the same model that other people have used, and kind of just. Uh, tweak it to my own? Or, or did you say, I want to open my shop and I want it to be, you know, in with this kind of image? Yeah, well, I, I knew exactly. I, I had been in the industry. Uh, I've tattooed at shops that were at the bottom of the industry to right. tattooing at Ink and Dagger here in Georgia, where we're at the top of the industry. That so, was the one. That was the yeah. one. Yeah. So I worked from the bottom all the way up to different types of shops, different ways they were run, different, uh, how would you say, uh, um, uh, profit value each one were different so i got a really good kind of idea of what i wanted in the shop i took the best out of what i liked out of each shop and then i came here and i actually drew all the plans the architectural plans for the shop um that gets <clears> into the engineering and architecture yeah you know, i drew all into. of it yeah i drew all of it and i just had to send it to 
uh, an architect for him to put it in quote unquote their language, right? Or right. the way that they should do a property because he knows how to lay out. But I just drew everything to scale what I wanted. This, this is, I want cabinets here. I want this here. I want that here. I want all my wall sockets here. I want this. And I like, I broke it down to every single thing. Like, in fact, it was going to be like, Two thousand dollars to do my engineering plans, the the, the architecture, and the guy right. took off five hundred dollars. He was like, "Dude, I'm just gonna do it for the." He's like, "Bro, you did like all the work for me." He's like, <laughs> "He said I just gotta come into the shop and double check your measurements." And he double checked it. He's like, "Dude, you're you're pretty much on it." And so he just laid it all out, and I was like, "Well, that's cool." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you should frame those. Oh, frame I definitely sketches. have them. I, I just, I just, you know, framing here in America is really expensive. It's yeah. Like, oh man. But I do have them uh, sitting at home and I want to go and frame them and put them up. So maybe one day I will. So when you were kind of coming up with this, what, what were some of the, I mean, so you, you didn't have a business background. You kind of had the artistry part down, but what was um, kind of like, Let's just say, what was, what was the challenge that, that kind of came up when, when you, were, you were starting your shop? I mean, you already had the potential, you know, client, you had the, the client base, you had the, the, you know, the demand was there, so you mm -hmm. didn't have to drum up business. But what, what was something that you found hard in establishing your name? Well, um, on establishing, well... Uh, once again, the, the big thing is I had a, a pretty good, decent, established name before I ever opened my shop. Um, so Kiyoki, the name Kiyoki, and well, he, being here in Georgia was already a reputation that I have already had. Once again, that was the first part of it, right? Is developing yourself as an artist and getting your reputation so that your reputation, you can ride that reputation. But um, <clears throat> but for me, the, the most difficult part of what opening my shop is when I chose to do it, which happened to be uh, during, during COVID. During COVID, like, uh, yeah. go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Our, our our industry shut down. Uh, uh, I think in March that year, and then it then it opened back up around June, and then here in Georgia, and then I, I transitioned back, started tattooing ink and dagger, and just realized I just want to kind of move in my own direction. So, um, because <clears throat> a lot of things are happening, there's a lot of changing in the industry, changing of the way the shop that I was working at was working. So many different things was happening. Um, I just, some of it I agreed with, some of it I didn't. You know what I mean? So, you know, back when I was growing up, they used to say, if you don't like the way somebody does something, you try doing it and see if you can do it better. You know what I mean? Were, so, was it just changes in management or were there kind of changes in trends, you know, in the, in the tattoo industry? No, it was just changes on how we uh, businesses businesses were done. You know, uh, a lot of so a lot of tattoo shots were um, uh, we all use subcontractors. So each one of the tattoo artists are kind of like a subcontractor that like contracts ten ninety nine. Like a 1099. Yeah, yeah. We're 1099 contractors that, um, you know, pay our own taxes and all that stuff like that. But when COVID shut down, they were giving um, those PPP loans or for loans for businesses right. that had employees. But none of the tattoo artists were employees. So, um, uh, so the businesses, a lot of tattoo shops didn't get any relief money. We didn't get anything because everybody was a It went to the business. Yeah, it went to. So it was just, it was really difficult. So the shop that I was at at Ink and Dagger, I think we had like 14 artists at the time, but wow. none, of, none of them were employees. So Russ Abbott, the guy who owned the shop, did, couldn't get any emergency money. He couldn't get anything to help the shop or nothing like that. So uh, that was when a lot of tattoo shops were trying, were looking into the option 
of a um, W-2 employees. Right. Um, the hardest part with that is a lot of, you know, we're commission-based. So, you know, you, I mean, to have a set salary on a W-2 is really hard because if, what if uh, an artist doesn't have any clients this week, you know what I mean? Or next week, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it kind of, it, it, it fluctuates too much to be stable enough to do a W-2. It was really difficult, but things are trying to move. Um, boss was trying to make some changes to his business and stuff. And like I said, some of them I agreed with, some of them I didn't, which right. is life, right? But it's just yeah. one of those things, yeah. like I said, if they say, if you don't like the way somebody runs their business, start your own and see if you can do better. You know what I mean? So I yeah. give... I gave much respect to Russ Abbott for him trying to make the decisions he needed for his business. But I was like, ah, maybe this is my time to try to see if I can do this on my own. So uh, the good thing is, is we were already established as a business entity. I was already a, um, an S corp. I was already my own corporation because I was a, you know, a subcontractor. Right. So I had my own business. Well, <laughs> excuse me, the SBA were giving uh, disaster loans. So two businesses. And so they took my taxes for the last two years and then they gave me some money. And then that money that I got could have been the money that I could have just chilled and hung out for COVID, but they gave me about, I'd say about 80,000. So no I shit. was like, yeah, just, just no, no credit check, nothing. I just looked at, saw my taxes and he said, here, we'll give you this. So I just took that and that's what I built my shop off of. I was like, this is, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do it. I, I got this money. Now I'm going to make the jump. And I didn't realize how difficult it was going to be where one, a lot of workers were, you know, being laid off because of, you know, lack of work and all that stuff because COVID shut down. Right. So a lot of things weren't happening Two, trying to have contractors in at the same time. So my plumbers didn't want to work with the electricians at the same time because they were like, oh, there's too many people in the room. COVID, you know what I mean? And right. so it's like, so I had to schedule out a lot of the construction that I needed to do, especially like plumbing and stuff like that, the stuff that I couldn't do myself. So I had to schedule out through weeks. So it stretched it out. Then three, another thing is the, all the materials price went up because shipping stopped. So yep. whatever they had in stock is, you know, supply and demand. So, you know, boards of lumber went, went up big time. And, they cost and there's no money. income coming in during and this whole buildup. Yeah. So not only did that $80,000 have to, uh, build this shop, but it had to sustain me period because I didn't have work. You know, I wasn't working at the time. So um, we had to figure out that combined with some savings that we had, we were able to build what we have today. Did you find any problems or difficulties getting perpetual roots and Kaoki, you know, established together? Like everyone knows Kaoki, but no one knew perpetual roots. I take it. So was it hard to get people to say, all right, Kaoki is Perpetual Roots? Uh, well, uh, believe it or not, Perpetual Roots uh, came out like 15 years ago. So oh, um, oh, I just oh. I just established my shop as Perpetual Roots, but I've been always known as Perpetual Roots to the West Coast and to Hawaii. So they've already oh. known that. And then that reputation just carried here. And then, then now here they, they started. I just had to build the clientele here, but it wasn't that hard because – People were looking for experienced artists and um, they already knew my reputation online. So a lot of people already started jumping. And then I was working with Ink and Dagger and Ink and Dagger Gate. Uh, I was blessed to be there because they were one of the top shops here uh, on the East, on the East Coast in the nation period. So I got a lot of uh, recognition here on the East Coast through Ink and Dagger. So where did Perpetual Roots come from? 
Um, Rebecca Rusko, so when I first started tattooing, I created my first entity. It was Hippographics. Um, the reason why I called it Hippographics is because um, my son's middle name is Ho'ohiapu. Ho'ohiapu is a Hawaiian word that means to be the first. He is my first son, okay. my mom and dad's first grandchild. He is his mom's first child, and they're her parents' first grandchild. So he is the number one of everything. So we call him Ho'ohiapu. And when I was in the military... A lot of my military friends couldn't pronounce Ho'ohiapo, so they called him Hippo. So I don't know why, <laughs> but they just called myself. You know, it's kind of one thing. Like people say, right. like, oh, my God, your name is Kyoki? Like karaoke? It's like, no, like <laughs> Kyoki. Karaoke is a complete different word, you know? But So they called him Hippo. So everything in my art was based off of my son. He was one of my inspirations. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the one who works with me, my son works with me now, but uh, Hippo was everything, Hippo graphics. And then I got into California when I moved to California and started to really establish a great name. So I had to come up with a new name for um, what I was doing with my, my stuff. So I created Perpetual Roots and uh, a lot of my friends asked why Perpetual Roots? And I was like, well, it doesn't matter where we come from, whether you're from the islands, Hawaii, whether you're from Africa, whether you're from Australia, whether you're from Japan, it, wherever we come from, we have roots. And all we try to do in our life is perpetuate those roots, to keep those roots alive through our children by passing down our stories, to keep our cultures and everything alive. So I wanted to be somebody who perpetuates roots. It didn't matter where you, your roots came from. So that's why I came right. up with Perpetual Roots. That's, that's dope. That That's really cool. And so you mentioned your son working for you and, and one of the, the, so we had a bunch of deep conversations when I was getting my tattoos, but one of the ones that came up was having employees under you. And, you know, there's, there's this, we'll say challenge of the millennials and, and the, uh, we'll call them entitled because, because you know what? I, I don't have to mince words. That that's what they that's what they are. <laughs> it's the, so funny, right? The, it, that's that's kind <laughs> of just they expect things to come their way, and, and you know it, it's just kind of funny. You know, reading you know uh, your friend Chris's book, The Millennial Whisper. So I mean that that kind of goes into how you deal with them. But so when you're hiring these kids, it, it's a challenge. So. It, are you finding ways to kind of deal with them or, you know, like, like your son, I mean, you can, you can discipline your son, you know, you, you can put him in line, but right. you know, how, how do you deal with, you know, the other kids, the ones that, that want to be, you know, apprentices that, that want to be something right away, not knowing they have to put time in like, like you did. Right. Uh, well, it's as as with as with any new new uh, venture, there's going to be challenges. We have to grow into the actual role. I tell people I've been a tattoo artist for twenty three years, but I've been a teacher for about eight months. You know, and so <laughs> it's, it's kind of a difference in the quality level of what I do versus twenty three years in, in in something to eight months. Um, so I'm learning in turn myself. But I think the first thing I do is I, I never. I never clump them. I never clump them into like millennials. As I, I, I really hate those kind of labels. To me, I see them as an individual person. And okay. to me, every person learns different. Every person communicates different. And so what I do is the first thing I do is when they come in, I do nothing. I give them nothing, no rules, no, no obligation, no nothing. I just see who they are. I tell them, come to the shop and come hang out. And as they go through everyday life, I want to see them. I tell people, I tell my artist, my uh, apprentices, I can create an agenda for you to be what I want you to be. 
I want you to be this. I want you to, you got to do this. 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 A lot of like um, just uh, institutionalization, right? They're just right. Like, forcing to be something. But then that creates robots. I want them to be the best artist they can be. If only uh, the only way I could do that is by helping them become the best them that they can be. Not what I want them to be. I don't want them to emulate me, be me. But how do I use my skills and what I learned to help them be the best them that they can be? So individually, every student comes in that, that comes in every every apprentice is going to be different because I have to one learn them, and that's usually going to take a couple months, like a couple right. months of seeing them. Like what are their uh, their habits. Do they naturally come into the shop and want to help? Do they naturally want to do this? Do naturally? I want to see them in who they are. Then from there, I'll adjust to the morals and values that I think are set for what I think I can help them become as a better person. Not what I want them to be, but well, hopefully to try to help them to be better. What's important to them? What makes right makes sense to them to understand them as a person and help them? How can I make you a better you, not another me? Right. Uh, so for me, you know, my, my mentality is, and, and almost always has been first in last out. So I need to be the first one in, in the morning and I'm going to be the last one out. I'm going to, I, I have to show my, my work ethic because, you know, performing, you know, doing well in my job. You know, there are hits and misses, there are ups and downs, but my work ethic is unwavering. You know, I, I, that's the one absolute thing I have complete control over. I I can be teachable and I'm going to work as hard as anybody. And, you know, I, I don't know that I, I see that in, in today's youth. You know, I, I don't, I don't see that drive really. I, I, I see them kind of thinking that they know best, which, you know, to be honest, that that's, that's, you know, what we did. I mean, we, we definitely had that, that, that piece, you know, we, we know best, we know more than our parents, we know more than our teachers, but you know, that was good for, for growing up. That was good for high school, but now when you're you're in your twenties, you know, you, you need to, if you will, you need to man up, you need to, become, you know, a working part of this world. And, you know, I, I, I know that you've kind of had problems with staff, you know, not really doing that, not, not coming in, you know, as adults or, you know, not willing to grow up. Yeah. Well, like I tell a lot of my friends, like, uh, I got some friends that complain about, you know, like we all have kids that are in their twenties, you know, and kind of in their late teens and stuff, just graduating high school and stuff like that. And I tell them like, well, we can, I, I complain about, or some people complain about the generations and like this recent generation. And I tell, I tell all my friends that you just got to remember, we raised this generation. So yep. it is our fault, not theirs. They are just who they are. They are products of their environment. Now I tell people, it's like, okay, get a look at us, Gen X's. Gen X's were the products of our baby boomer parents that were mm -hmm. probably high on some drugs, overworking themselves to their bone. You know, they really left us alone. Like they said, you know, our Gen X's, we were self-sufficient by seven years old. You know what I mean? Last, last key kids. Yeah, yeah. So we were those kids that let ourselves in and out of the house, cooked our own dinners, you know, took care of our brothers and sisters. We were forced to do that. And then our generation, when we got older, we overcoddled our kids because of the lack that we had growing up. What we right. wanted in life, we gave them, but we didn't see the repercussions of it because we weren't spoiled. 
So the repercussions were that now they got everything, they became these little spoiled brats, as you could say, what people call them. You know what I mean? Right, but at right, the same right. time, technology came when we were growing up, the Gen Xs, right? We were going from what? pay phones to pagers to cell phones you know it's like yep. it was crazy the world and how it changed but now these kids are growing up in a world where information is at their hands where yeah. we had to go to school and learn to become smarter where them they don't have to become smarter because they've got every answer they will ever need on their phone you know what i mean Everything. it's crazy it's That's crazy what gives the entitlement right because knowledge is power but now that you give every single kid knowledge in their hands they have the power which gives the entitlement kind of thing. But I think it's still just understanding how to control that power is the big. And so for me and my students, I bring them in and I learn them and who they are. Then from there, I have them, if I have to start to, once again, adjust the agenda to figure out how I want to mold them. But they're almost like my children, right? I want to build them and I don't make them do kind of like how we were growing up and my, our parents, we were told to do something. Why? Just because you, why, why do I have to do this? This is just because you have to, you know what I mean? For me, Everything is about understanding. It's about knowledge. Like, why am I asking you to do this? This is the reason why. Is I'm going to break it down. And this is what our end goal is. And we're going to, so there's an understanding and there's no sense of like, I don't know what's going on here. You know what I mean? So, so that they're aware of the building process and what the end goal is. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. So I, I think that that's, that it, it kind of shows how you'd look at things. Cause you, as I was listening, you called them students, not employees. And, and I think that's a, re a reflection on, on your approach and, and how you view, you know, the people that, that work for you. So, so what, what's it like? Cause I, so I've always worked for others. I, I, I tried to do something on my own, but it, it didn't work out. Um, so I, I've never had employees. Was that like a, a a big learning curve to have people that that are now relying on you, or did, yeah. did were you managing a, at the tattoo shop, or were you doing anything in like a leadership role? I was not managing. In fact, I had a hard enough time managing my own life than managing. Other people. <laughs> so, that was I just. I really tried to create an environment, never in the sense of, I mean, there's a hierarchy, like a chain of command, as you do with the military. There is that. But at the same time, it's just to help everybody understand that it is a family. It's a business. We all work together. We try to work together to all come to the same goal. I don't want to try to get rich off of people, but I want to have a place where I can help people push themselves to get to the point where they can make money for themselves and their families. So it's about that family environment. So having employees and stuff like that, I mean, other than the statistical stuff that you, I mean, the, the um, logistical stuff that you have to do business-wise for the government, you know, taxes and all that stuff like right. that. Other than that, I mean, really there's no difference between a student and a an employee because in the end we're all constantly learning and as people like there's there's no sense i'm nowhere above or below any of my students even my students all i can do is share the knowledge i have i'm just another human being that just happens to have a little bit more experience than they do so i can pass as much experience as i can to hopefully um expedite their process to the top so I imagine there's there's a a distinct difference right between the these you know students or no not I mean everyone's a student so these right. these kids that are coming in that are you're trying to teach the business and you know get them as you know learn some business learn some work ethic 
then you know maybe start learning how to you know what how to draw and then how to tattoo you know going through that whole progression but i imagine someone coming in as an artist that that's a whole different ball game you know it, it, what, what kind of craziness is associated with you know bringing on new artists well, it's 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 a it's a very big thing, especially for the shop. A shop has uh, usually an established energy, and I, I have an energy that I keep in the shop. And you want to be definitely mindful of as an owner uh, of of the energy that comes in and out of your shop, uh, the the type of persons, people that you bring in. You know, because there's just a plethora, there's a million types of personalities and attitudes out there. Not everybody will vibe together, you know, in in certain environments. So you try to I try to create an environment that's very versatile that people can. Feel feel comfortable and relaxed in but at the same time i do have to be mindful of the artists that come in some of them are a little bit more aggressive some of them to have like a old like a, a, an old traditional way of doing things and stuff and some of them just don't vibe with me but it's nothing wrong with that um uh, i i just try to find I, that's why we do like kind of like a um like probation periods like maybe like a mm -hmm. month sit there with a month and see them in 30 days and see how they do how they vibe with the shop how everybody gets along together and stuff like that because we also have to understand that everybody has different work work ethics everybody has different um like routines and all this stuff like that and how do we vibe as a shop to kind of like be respectful to each other's routines and our vibes and what we do and how we do things to where we don't take over the um environment from everybody and kind of make an uncomfortable environment for everybody so it's a lot of pressure to think about that and then in the end you know nine times out of ten you got to face the realities is that if somebody is jumping into a tattoo shop it's probably because they are looking for a tattoo shop that has a kind of reputation or stuff that they like or somebody that's an artist that they 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 get connected to either their art or their vibe, their energy and stuff like that. Right. And they're coming in. So they're all trying to ride an energy. So if, if, but when people get to the point where they're established enough in an industry, especially in this tattoo industry, they'll create their own because they, they'll know oh. their vibe. And that's where they, kids break off and make usually break off and make their own shop. But until they, they have that vibe or that energy that they have, they will nine times out of 10 ride the energy of the lead, the leader, the owner of the shop. So if you okay. look at every tattoo parlor out there, there's going to be one main head guy. Usually there's one guy who is usually the owner or the head artist in the shop. And everybody will kind of almost ride almost like the uh, um, overflow and everything like that, of that until they start to establish themselves as a, as a higher artist stuff like that and then when they gain their reputation that rise and gets as high as the other main artists usually they go out on their own they go on their own so that's usually what happens uh in a lot of tattoo parlors so understanding the industry being in it long enough i understand that these kids that are coming in um i'm 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 having to care for them and, and teach them and, and hopefully teach them how they can eventually get out on their own. Cause in the, in the end, the goal is to want to work for ourselves. I want to create my own schedule. I want to be able to take off when my nephew has football games or when my son wants to do this and my son wants to, you know, we could take family vacations, but to work for somebody, sometimes that can be difficult. You have to accrue leave. You have to ask permission to take leave. You have to balance with all these other employees, but being a business owner allows you a lot of uh, comforts in life that you can control more with that so our goal is to get people that way uh, to that point so if i can help people in that process that's what i do but that that must be hard so you spend all this time and effort into developing someone just to to set them free that that must be tiring that must be kind of exhausting to to not 
I mean, cause so in, in every business I've worked in, you know, the, the, the idea is you find your niche and you stay with the same employer for 20, 30 years. Cause you know, you'll, you'll go up the ranks, you'll, you'll develop. And if every business that I've been in, if the, the model, if you will, was to develop and then go out on your own uh, for ownership, for management, that would be kind of, that would be draining. I, w- I would think that would be real challenging. I think that's where I get my, I guess my high. That's my my enjoying. The, uh, if you read once again, uh, my my friend Chris Tuff, who wrote the Millennial Whisperer. Uh, in life, we have currencies. Currencies are like our skills or things that we exchange and stuff like that for uh, a trade. Back in the days, they would trade uh, a blacksmith would trade something for somebody who's a fisherman, or a, a hunter and a fisherman would trade their trade. What they do is they whatever product they have that would be their currencies. And my my currency is is energy with people, and I exchange that currency. And then so when people come to me. My goal and my my effort is to push them where uh, the typical business in America, uh, the currency is money. We want money. We want money. I want to keep as many employees as I can to make money. Where I don't think my goal is money. My goal is the success of people in the world. And if I can help them succeed, then that's yeah. that's a great thing. So for so for me to see them fly and to leave the nest, that's the that's that's the adrenaline rush I look for. When you have somebody who actually can leave on their own and say, thank you, I have what I need to sustain myself and my family and go, because money comes, money goes. In the end, the one thing that never leaves is the energy that we leave in people's hearts. You know, so that's just my goal, brother. That, that gets back to you being a, a, a teacher and not an employer, you know, your students and not employees. You know, the, the idea of a teacher is to prepare you for the next step. So, you know, that's, that, that's key to you. That that's definitely, you know, I, I give you props for that, that that's a, a, a giving mentality that a lot of people don't have and that some people don't want to have and others would struggle to have, but yeah, I mean, that, that gets back to you being a teacher and I, I, I would hope that there, it, it goes both ways, right? So the, they teach you like do you ever use them for for like their social media and you know influence and what they can do in in you know technology that that us as as we're getting older are just out of no i i mean the, the great thing is that I've, I've never really cared about any of that stuff i i believed in my energy just emitting in the world and coming forward stuff that but i do learn from my students and i i learned i think the most I think what I learned from being a teacher now from my students is that your students are going to be a reflection of the problems that you have in life. Your students will always come to challenge you on the things that you need to grow as a teacher. So if you don't have patience as a teacher, you will have a student that will come and test your patience. If you don't have <laughs> the knowledge, you will have a student that will come in and think they know everything and challenge your knowledge. Right, so you right. always have to up your game. So you learn more by teaching somebody. Uh, in fact, there's a tattoo artist. His name is Nico Hurtado, uh, world famous tattoo artist out in California, Hesperia, California. Um, uh, uh, he's a teacher. He teaches a lot of kids, uh, their art, stuff like that, but he, he makes all of his, even his artists at his uh, studio, he makes every single one of his artists teach classes to the rest of the artists in the shop for whatever they know it doesn't it could be on like how i draw a circle you know what i mean it could be something but right to teach a class because it is only a lot of us as human beings do something out of habit 
This is how I was taught. I know this process, one, two, and three. This is how I do my process. Right. Well, it isn't until you teach somebody else that you have to break down and understand your process. True. Then from there, then you can understand like, okay, does this even make fucking sense? You know what I mean? Like, like, why have I been doing this this whole time? Well, this doesn't make sense if I just did this. And it actually helps you to perfect your process and it makes you a better person. So, and, and even a stronger artist. So by teaching people what you know it helps you to magnify and and understand everything that you know yeah breaking down why you do what you do mm -hmm. helps you better understand what you do see that's 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 one of the beauties of these conversations you know for me i i as we're talking i it opens my mind to to certain ways of thinking so yeah that makes complete sense by by teaching someone it makes you re-examine the 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 thoughts that you had because now you're having to explain it by breaking down each step you you can see oh wait a second that step that i've i've been doing you know just as a machine is is not needed or or should be this other way so right. i mean that that's 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 one of the joys of these conversations for me i mean i, I and and that was part of the the reason that i, I wanted to have these conversations and, and do a podcast is because i i think that these this insight these lessons uh, can can be valuable for for anyone listening um and, and you know i i think that that that's big um, so, you know, when, when you've got your students, you, you've got your kids coming in and, and we'll call them kids. Cause we're getting older. You got hey. kids coming in, you've got artists coming in. How do you create that cohesive nature so that the flow, the energy kind of goes that it, it goes in the right direction? Uh, you you do it by by just guiding people. Uh, the big the best thing is leading by example. Hey, okay. you, if you have somebody who has a habit or something that you want them to break, then you do what you want them to do every day, and you do it every day because a lot of times nine times out of ten these these students or these these kids are coming in and they're wanting to learn more to become better. And a lot of the times, more than more than none, you, they will be watching every step you make. And what they do is they'll be copying that. If they like it, they'll keep it. So the best way to lead is not by being a dictator, not by being forced, not the disciplinary anything, is to just lead by example. If I want this person to draw a particular way, I will sit down next to them while they're drawing in our room and I will draw the way I need them to draw. The only reason, then what they'll do is they'll look at him and be like, hmm, well, that's working for him. And he's the guy who owns the shop. I'm going to try that. So you influence people through action, not by any anything else. So to me, that's the best way to do it. If you want to, if you want to show them to come in early, I come in every day, you know, at nine o'clock, you know, me and my son go to the gym every day. Then we come straight here and you start cleaning. Well, we're here before they, they come in. And, and like you said, first one in, last one out, you know. And right. so you try to show them through your actions how to build their morals and values. Do you like do cookouts and, you know, team building activities? You know, I, I know in the corporate world, they, they've got some real silly ones, you know, like going and playing kickball or, or, or something stupid. But do you guys have family outings? Do you, you do that? Because I, I know I, I forgot when it was, but you had one where you were you were doing it at, at, at your shop where you invited people of the community to come out. Um, you know, what, what was that like? You know, do you, 
I imagine that builds the team as well to, to be part of the same face. Um, what other things do you do to kind of build that, that group? Well, uh, right now is that all my group is kind of fresh uh, uh, right now. So uh, we're still all just trying to get to know each other. But yeah, I did that smoky jam, like a music jam session. Yeah, that's what October. it was. That was what it was. And uh, <clears throat> to me, that was more getting out into the environment. You know, where I come from in Polynesia, tattooing is a part of life. It's a part of society. So it's a big thing for us to do that with the environment or the, the neighborhoods that are around you. So to invite people over to do that. But during those activities, one, it boosts the reputation for the shop. You try to get it right. out to the community. But two, it, it, it gets us as a team to work together. We find duties. We take care of each other as a team to where we can all come to a same goal, which is to make a great evening for our guests so that we can raise um the awareness as well as reputation of our shop you know so we can do that and become a part of our community so there are events like that that we we have it's almost like you, see, you can almost call it team building where we right. all have to work together and we learn each other how one works how the other works how one works how the other works and so and we can we can try to work together and find those things i haven't done much more since then like i said because i had a crew that came in and a crew that left and a crew that came in and a crew that left and so people rotate especially in this world like uh, uh like nowadays like how they were saying with the millennial whisper and stuff a lot of kids are happy to now jump from one job to another where back when i was growing up in the 80s and 90s like you get a good job you stick with that thing until the day you die or collect yep. security you know what i mean yep. so it's different to understand the generation, to understand what is their values, their morals and values, and what they they look for in jobs. Once again, I, I've, I've just become a business owner and a teacher within the last year, year and a half. I'd say not even a, not even a year and a half, like about a year. So I, I've been kind of in myself learning to understand these things. Like I already have a good understanding of what I want to do. It's just now understanding the actions behind it. How am I going to do it? And I'm only going to get better as I grow, as I go through do it but you know you're gonna have people that are gonna come in and out of your life in and out of your business a million times and it's just the way life is and if once again like they say if you're gonna be a lifeguard you might get wet so just prepare yeah. for it you know and so that's i'm ready for it yeah so is that some you know a, a something a lesson that you want to impart so, so say someone wants to open up their own shop and you're kind of going through the growing pains now what is that you know, that line, exactly it. You know, if, if you're going to be a lifeguard, you might get wet. Is that something, are there other things that you'd want to kind of impart on people kind of that are embarking on this journey kind of, I mean, what yeah, other things? Well, I mean, other than the logistical stuff, that's obviously everybody has the logistical stuff. That's, that's, that's stuff that we all have to do, but I guess for your shop, that the, one thing that's very important is finding who you are first because your shop is going to be your energy, your energy. I, I sat in my shop for almost a year before I actually started getting other people to come into the shop. I, I, I needed to establish who I was. I needed to find my energy, my vibe as an individual in my name in my shop. Then from there, when you start to bring other people in, you'll, you can understand how to regulate the energies that come in because you have people that have really strong energies. And if they come right. into your shop and you're not established, they'll take over your energy. They'll take over the whole shop, just not because they want to, but necessarily, but, but because their energy is just there. You know what I mean? And if your energy isn't established as a person, as an you get overwhelmed. yourself, you'll get overwhelmed. Exactly. And then to also just to be just to me mindful of the people, you know, a lot of people get into this stuff, this tattooing for 
selfish reasons. You know, I, I want to have my own money. I want to do this. I want to do that. But they they don't mind. They just want to bring other people in to make me money. Uh, in the end, like my a pyramid. Shop, yeah. So my my shop and the way I look at things, and I'm not the conventional artist. I'm 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 completely. I think completely different from a lot of shops. Um. Uh. I, I can tell you some a cool story about this girl who came in and she was like, you know, hey, I'm here to do your. Um. She goes, I'm here to pitch you an offer on your. Um. Uh, credit card merchant services so she was like here she goes here i can she goes i have two plans either plans where the money comes out of your pocket or the money comes out of your 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 clients and i said sweetheart it, it, does, it never comes out of my clients it comes out of my pocket and she was right. like no 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 and she was then i said sweetheart, let me understand you there are fees for me to have this service and i have to pay those fees now a lot of businesses will dump those fees on their pass customers. it on They'll pass it on to me. It's like, no, that's my responsibility. I don't pass it on to them because it's my responsibility. I, I told her, I said, this is what I do is on my square um, uh, square. Let's say square makes me pay 4% for every transaction. Right. I told okay. her on my square, I can drop their percentage to 2%. So I drop them to 2%. I take 2% and we carry the balance together. I said, right. so this is what I do for my customers. I said, so the, unless you have a plan, where my customers pay 2% and I pay zero, then you don't have any business. Say, no, 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 but you don't understand. I said, no, no, you don't understand the industry. <laughs> I'm not trying to take money from it. In the end, the fees are mine. And I don't feel it's right to dump them on my client. But if we share the fees, I believe that's fair. We can do that. You know, so can you allow me to share my fees and, and to drop their percentage? She said, oh, no, we can't do that. I said, then you have no business. Then then you can carry on. But she's like, but don't you want to put more money in your pocket? It's like, mm, yes and no, but I don't want to do it at the expense of others. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm giving a service, but I don't want to deliberately take from them to cover mine because that's my responsibility. So once again, I'm just a different artist. I think different. To me, it's about I always – pride myself in trying to be as selfless as possible and to try to help the world and help the thing. Like even my, my artists, like for me, um, uh, I tell people like a, a, an average shop would take a 60, 40 cut for their artists. So okay. the artist takes home 60% of their pay and 40% goes to the shop. I told okay. my friends, I said, well now check this out. 40% of what I make initially goes to the shop. Then 40% of what I have goes to taxes. So I'm taking home $20 for every hundred dollars I make. Why? It's capitalism. It's what they're doing. They're taking it. So what I do for my artists is I flipped it. I give them the 40%. You know what I mean? So they take home that, that, uh, um, uh, I take the 20%. So, and then stuff like that. So, you know, so they take home the, the, uh, uh, higher. So they do, they do 80. I take 20. Okay. So I take the, I take a 20% cut. They take the 80 because I'm putting that extra 40 back into their pocket. You know what I mean? That yeah. extra 20 into their pocket instead of my pocket. So instead of me getting 40%, I take the 20% cut, which should be at the end for them. Right. So I'm giving them that 40%. Why not? Cause I need them to make more money. I need them to take care of their families and the business. I'm not going to lie, brother with my tattooing. I make more than enough to live a happy life. And I right. don't need, I don't need anymore. You could want, you can get more selfish. Say, I, I want this. And I, want that and i could do that and i could still do that with the money that i make but to me it's about that and so i i would just say if people are going to start a business try to understand what your business is about is your business is about money then so forth be it you know a lot of people want to do that. it's about capital it's about making money but how do you make sustainable money and keep that money because if you're trying to rape your artists of everything they got eventually they will leave 
So to keep longevity in the industry and the longevity in your business, it'd be, it would behoove us to take care of our artists. And so even collecting 20% from 13 artists who make $300,000 a year is still it's a more lot of money. Enough. It's yeah. more than enough money. So, and if you can't learn to take that and invest into it, then you need to go and check yourself and what your habits are and what you need to do. So that's why, how I live my life every day, brother. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that would be, you know, uh, a, a misconception, you know, like a, a pitfall of, you know, someone that's, that's starting out. Right. So first one being, they don't know themselves. So how can they lead? Another one is to, you know, I, in my opinion, is to uh, a, a pitfall is to do it for money and not for the the love of the game, if you will. And you know, the 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 last one is to understand your role in this process. Be a leader by example. Be a teacher. You know, all of these things that that you've just lined out for me. You know, I I, I think that that that's the roadmap that that makes this this work. So moving forward down the road, what, what do you see for yourself? What do you, what, you know, do you, are, do you want to, I mean, do, do you picture a world where you've got perpetual roots in in different States and, you know, you've got the, the perpetual roots empire? <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. It's, there is definitely a plan for a larger, a larger entity of perpetual roots. And, and once again, my, my purposes for what I'm doing is just totally different from other people. But I, I just, I just want to unite the world. You know, the, the one thing about tattooing is that we carry culture, culture, whether it doesn't matter, we come, whether it's the Japanese, whether it's Hawaiian, whether it's even traditional American, there's a culture connected to every sense of tattooing. And when we can understand culture, we can understand each other. When we understand each other, then we'll learn to respect each other. And I think that hopefully that'll make the world become a better place. Just learning how to respect one another's ways and who we are, not to conform them to one, but to understand that there's more than just one and we can respect each other for it. So to understand it. So I think why by spreading uh, my tattooing and trying to get it around the world, we can take artists to unite them around the world to be exposed to cultures. And I think that um, I can, we could create the next group of leaders because tattooing can touch every aspect of life. I've tattooed every sense of every person, every type of religion. I've tattooed every, every a culture, a, a kind of style. I've, I've tattooed uh, all the ways of life. You come, right. people come through my chair. So to have an influence in the world like that and an understanding that's different from other people, I think that I can take tattoo artists and make them the next leaders of the world. So understand how we control power, how we, we take care of each other, how we be selfless, how we pass traditions and understandings. I think that I can help the world become a better place by creating better leaders. And you know, so I, I know I've I've slowly developed this cast catchphrase of of that's deep, right? So <laughs> I I think that the legacy that that you want to leave behind isn't this business empire, isn't the name of perpetual roots, isn't you know being the the world's best tattoo artist, which you know all of these things will come. But it's teaching people and growing the next generation and 
preparing the world and, and sharing your thoughts and getting the word out of culture, of diversity. And, you know, I, I think that one of those avenues, hopefully, is, you know, getting a podcast out there so we can, in long form, talk about these things and you can share them with, with a wider audience. But I, I think that that's, that's the part that, that's real deep is it's, it's not about the dollar. It's about the lasting memory, you know, the, the memory that you share with people, the memories that your employees or your students take with them. And, you know, the memories that, you know, we try to pass on to the people listening. So, man, I, I, I love you for the knowledge. I love you for the conversations. I, I, I definitely enjoy this. And, and I, I look forward to doing many more and, and to keep these conversations going, man. I love yeah. you. I love you too, brother. And I'll, I'll leave, I'll close out with uh, something that, that was a very big impact in my life, uh, um, even up till now. My, my grandmother was dying of dementia a long time ago. And um, we used to always go visit her at my uncle's house. And um, every day we'd go in and I'd say, hi, grandma. And she would look at me and she was, my grandmother, a very smart woman. And she would mm -hmm. look at me and she'd be like, okay, so apparently you're one of mine. And she was like, so who do you belong to? And next to her bed, she would have a picture of her and all her children. And, and so I would grab the picture. Well, she would grab the picture and hand it to me. And I'd say, this is my dad. My dad is your son. My dad is this. And this is, I am his eldest son. And this, and I'd explain who I was. And she would be like, all right, cool. How's your day? You know, and she'd start talking. And um, I remember one time I was talking to my grandmother and she asked me, she's like, so what do you do? I said, well, grandmother, uh, grandma, I I'm, a, I'm a tattoo artist. This is what I do. I'm a tattoo artist. And what she said next has impacted my life ever since. She said, okay, so how do you help people? Yeah, And that's where it came down to. It doesn't matter what business you're starting, whether it's a tattoo shop, whether it's anything. It's, she didn't say, how much money are you making for yourself? She said, how are you helping people? And so that has been my thing, to be selfless, to try to help people every day, because my grandmother told me that. So if you do anything with a business, if you're trying to open any business, it doesn't matter what it is, ask yourself, what are you doing to add to the community? How are you making the world a better place? And then uh, hopefully that'll give you a little bit of direction. But uh, brother, as always, man, I love these talks. Thank you so much. I love you, brother, always. And uh, much love. Much love, everyone. Much love.